Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Channel podcast from Nick Malay Productions, featuring stories, information, and highlights from Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park, as well as guest interviews with locals, authors, naturalists, historians, and other experts on the wildlife and wonders of this beautiful region of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. This is Brett, and I'm your host. Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Channel podcast. I am Brett and I'll be your host, and today it's my distinct pleasure to be welcome, welcoming Esty Rivera of the Rocky Mountain Conservancy. Did I get that right? You did, yes, thank <laughs> you. Know, you. We, talk, we just had a, a funny session about that uh, moments before because some, some things have changed. And, yeah, uh, that's absolutely. That's what we're here to talk about today, yeah. changes, and to get the locals straight <laughs> as yeah. well. So he slipped up a moment and called us the, the Nature Association. So we yeah. were the Nature Association for many years, uh, and then we changed our name to the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, but still the exact same organization celebrating our 90th birthday this year, actually. Awesome. How long have we been the, the Conservancy versus Nature Conservancy? Uh, almost a decade, not quite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have been around a while, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I haven't checked in. Well, we are so glad you're here. Thank you, Esty. Appreciate it. Uh, let's get, just maybe to get started, we could talk a little bit about the Conservancy, how you got started there, and your background a little bit. Great. So I've been at the Rocky Mountain Conservancy and here in Estes Park for almost five years. Um, prior to that, I worked with the Park Service for about nine years doing partnerships with all sorts of different partners of the Park Service. And so here I am as the partner to the Park Service on the other side of the table. So awesome. our mission is to support public lands with a focus on Rocky Mountain National Park, but we also work closely with the Forest Service. We have some projects with the Town of Estes Park, Bureau of Land Management, all the way up to Wyoming. Um, but really our emphasis and our home communities are here in the Town of Estes Park and then also the Gateway Community of Grand Lake. Wow, and, and you are originally from Washington, D.C.? That was No, I came here from Washington, D.C., oh, so I was Ari there for a few years uh, celebrating the National Park Service Centennial and working on that project. Yeah. Came to Estes Park just in time for the Estes Park Centennial. Yeah. And now I'm starting to think about the Conservancy <laughs> Centennial in 10 years, but I'm wow. originally from Southern Arizona, so and that's Tucson, where you Arizona, school. yep, south of Tucson, just off the border, so... A little different environmentally than, than where we are here, but I'm learning to love the seasons over yes. these last few years. And growing up, did you is this did you know you this is what you always wanted to do? Or? No, absolutely not. Um, I discovered actually archaeology when I was in high school. I took an elective class mostly because I was interested in primatology. Mm, uh, so wild detour, and ended up just falling in love with archaeology. Did that in college, and then after college for a few years, and then somewhat fortuitously, although it didn't feel like it at the time, tripped and broke my leg. Oh. Uh, and then realized that might be a good time to recalibrate and think about what I was doing professionally because I couldn't do it when I was, you know, lying right. like a dead bug in a cast for months <laughs> and ended up going back to grad school wow. uh, in geography and then shifted slowly from a GIS, geographic information systems, 
to looking at uh, national parks specifically um, and studying people who don't visit national parks, um, particularly around looking at diverse communities and you know non-traditional visitors to the park and figuring out how to make the parks more accessible yeah. to visitors from all walks of life. And you worked in Arizona with the, um, was it the Community Engagement Coordinator at the Saguaro National yes. Park? Yeah, and how did that lead to here? Yeah, you know, it's been a, uh, now I've had my office, luckily, in two national parks in my career. Uh, and wildly different. You know, in Saguaro National Park, we spent a lot of time trying to entice people to visit the park. Yeah, how do you go about doing uh, that? You know, it was a little under-visited. I think they don't have that problem nowadays for all sorts of different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But we were working, especially with the Latino community there, who we knew they were underrepresented as visitors to the park, even though they were about 50% of the population of Tucson, which is a city of a million people. Wow. So here at Rocky, it's so different because we have all of these conversations and the park is thinking very hard in the community about how to manage visitation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, how do, we, how do we manage the literally millions of people coming to the park but also, how do we make sure that people who don't know about the park want to learn about the park next generation also learns about the park? So it Boy, is, a it's a more line. nuanced challenge of not, yes. there's room for everyone. There is room for everyone, but we've got to work harder to make sure everyone's having a great experience and that the resource here is, is kept pristine for future generations. Absolutely. And right now, this is September 2021. The uh, park. This is the third most visited park. Still, uh, we we bounce between third and fourth most visited. Yeah, I think last year with timed entry and COVID, we might have dropped into fourth place. So top five, right? At still, least still bragging rights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Global gym. Global gym. Yeah. yeah. So 2021, 2020, and 2021 have been very interesting years for the entire world. What's going on with the conservancy and with the park in general here? Um, just kind of can you update us yeah absolutely so yeah and even looking you know in my time here we've had the longest government shutdowns in the history of the park we've had a global pandemic and we've had the two largest wildfires in the state both touching different aspects of the park so you know certainly lots of adaptability you know resilience from the park from the conservancy support from our community right um keeps us on our toes um but you know fast forward to 2021 you you know some things are constantly changing i joke every year that when the park releases their press release announcing that the meadows close at dusk the elk start start running immediately Uh, (laughs) some things are constantly changing (laughs) some things are happening right on schedule walk outside you'll you'll hear the bugling and the leaves are starting to change and there is some comfort in that exactly yeah But in general, how are the public dealing with uh, the issues, COVID, and also, um, what, timed entry? I understand there's some people don't understand why it has to be, especially locals, possibly. Um, yeah, it's, yeah it's definitely been a challenging year. And then I think we are also not thinking every day about the fact that, and it's starting to get to get bigger, um, but huge portions of the park have been closed mm, yes. due to the East Troublesome and the Cameron Peak fires. So not only are, you know is there a need to manage visitation for public safety, there's also sure. a need, uh, you know, in terms of carrying capacity because some of the park is not accessible. I mean, particularly on the west side, you see devastating. There are areas you can't find trail. The Green Mountain Trail is you know 
unfindable right really? now because of the, the, the because of the devastation of the fire you know wow. the river's been rerouted yeah uh the landscape's wildly changed so you know right now the park is in timed entry yeah um we the conservancy don't <laughs> don't make those decisions um sure. but they certainly you know affect the visitors mm-hmm. our members our donors our communities every day so it's important to us you know that we help to communicate what the park is doing and why they're doing that yeah, and how, how tightly is it on a day-by-day basis that you are working with the park? Uh, how, you left hand know what the right hand is doing? Yeah, I've absolutely. So, you know, across divisions, we work with individuals in the park every mm-hmm. single day. So we're looking at, you know, our job is to help the park be flexible and nimble. Yeah. And there's no time that the park needs flexibility and nimbleness, nimbleness more than in a public health emergency and Absolutely. in fire recovery. Yeah. So we're constantly having conversations. How can we be helpful? How can we be flexible? We partner with the park primarily in two ways. We have the nature stores and visitor centers and then some kiosks scattered throughout the park. Mm-hmm. But then we also fundraise, you know, anywhere from one to two million a year for park-specific projects. So understanding what their needs are, um, what our capacity is. The community has stepped up in extraordinary ways this last year. We had committed about 1.2 million to the park. Um, you know, and then the pandemic hit, we were mm-hmm. able to fulfill those commitments. Really? Okay. Um, and start fundraising for other things like fire recovery. So. When the fire happened, you know, we immediately realized, okay, we we don't know what the impact is going to be. We are actively on fire in October of 2020. My office was evacuated, like, you know, many of Estes Park residents. I was evacuated for over a week. I live just near the Beaver Meadows entrance. so couldn't even get into the park. It was was quite close to home, literally, (laughs) on so many levels. Um, But we realized, you know, the park is going to need us to help to recover from this. So we immediately... Um, started to generate funds from, you know, throughout the country to help with fire recovery. Yes. And then in the last few months, we've really started to talk with the park about what are their needs. Uh, they do receive some federal funding around burned area emergency rehab. So, if, yeah. you know, we don't want to duplicate where they have funding. We want to help them do more. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of re-envision some of the needs around preventing this from happening again. Yes, yeah. Uh, so we just funded, for example, $250,000 to do controlled burns on massive swaths of Deer Mountain. Really? Okay. Um, so the That's park cool. has said it will take, you know, decades and decades and decades to burn some of those areas with our existing annual funds. And we know, had the winds shifted ever so slightly, that that is where it would have jumped to the town of Estes Park. So, you know, we're not in the business typically of funding controlled burns. That's very different than funding junior ranger programs, Uh, mm, historic preservation. But the need is there um, for the park and also for the community to help ensure that, you know, we're making these forests sustainable and healthy for the long run. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you got me thinking here. So before 2020 and the fires especially, your job was more in raising funds for education and um, that kind of Trails, historic preservation. Um, We've always funded search and rescue. has Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, search and rescue in Rocky is very complicated. Uh, The staff and the volunteers there need very specialized training, helicopter training, backcountry training, equipment. Uh, So that's been a priority of ours. Has that, have there been, you mentioned just before we went on the show that there, 
Is there, there more search and rescue, uh, rescue going on right now or recently? Yeah, Rocky has you know, always been one of the search and rescue parks wow. um, because it's tied to the visitation. And again, the complexity, anyone who's been in Rocky knows the, you know, the weather can change on a dime, yeah. situations change. So we do support what we call preventative search and rescue, PSAR or wilderness education, which is, you know, how do people not get in that situation in the first place? Yes, yeah. Um, and that's critical. But, you know, I tripped and broke my leg years ago in the forests in southern Arizona. <laughs> I was super prepared. Wow. Um, accidents happen. We know accidents happen. Inclement weather happens. Conditions change. And sure. sometimes people do need search and rescue. Yeah. So we want them to be, the, whoever's searching them out, to be as ready as possible and have the best tools and training for, for sure. their safety, too. Well, in your case, you fell forward and ended up yeah. here. So, <laughs> so I said it was a bad. fortuitous break, although it was hard to see that perspective 15 right. years ago. Right. So your typical day before 2020 was um, that, and now you, when you when you're when you wake up and get out of bed, of course you don't know. It, I mean, fires are yeah <laughs> are, are um, very possible again. I, I've seen in the uh, the Deer Ridge area uh, these uh, what are they called Had, hazard tree removal yeah. TPs too. So that's when when are they going to? Yeah, be? so so that's a great example. You know, the park does those with their own fire crews and trail crews build those, and then yeah. they burn them when the conditions are right. right. Um, and that's a really tricky question because sometimes people will say, you know, there's snow on the ground. Why aren't they burning them? It's wind conditions, um, but it's also, you know, you can't have too much wind, you also can't have too little wind. Mm. Um, mm, or really? the controlled burns, you know, won't move in the right oh, way I in see. different areas. So it's very complicated. So wow. when people ask, you know, when's it gonna happen? It's like, <laughs> yeah. someone in the fire, fire staff <laughs> is keeping tabs and waiting for the right conditions. Yeah. And then this year too, we pivoted seeing the need and we put together a youth conservation corps that was specific to fire this year as well. So they worked with wow. the parks fire team and they also, through the course of this summer and fall, have been getting all of their credentials so that at the end of this season, they're all eligible to be hired as wildland firefighters here in Rocky or other places. So also directly building that pipeline since that's a need Rocky has. That's fantastic. Building for the future. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, the other the thing that I was most familiar with with the Conservancy is their education materials. You can find them where? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we, we also have the oldest field institute in the National Park System, uh, or Education wow. Institute. And so that was one of our programs that unfortunately, you know, as I talk about adaptive management during the pandemic, we halted our education program. Mm -hmm. You know, we knew it was not going to be safe to put kids and adults in buses and do all of these things and the park was closed. Yeah. Um, so that has been really challenging this year. I get calls every day saying, I'd like to go on an elk bugle tour. I'd mm. like to do these things. But it's also been a really great opportunity for us to slow down and think really strategically about what have we learned from the pandemic about the future of education? Yeah. Um, you know, we should figure out how to merge virtual experiences with in-person experiences. Yeah. Might you do might you learn about pikas from home and then come to the park and see them out there in the wild. So we know we're never going to replace experiential education. That is, you know, truly our mission to connect people with the park, but can we expand that presence in new and creative ways yeah. with the technology and everything we've learned in the last few years? Absolutely. That's good. I was going to ask you 
you know, on a more personal level, I mean, you're in a high-profile position there. In reflection at this point, and of course we're still in the middle of it, yeah. uh, what have you personally learned or how, how has it changed your life personally or your your viewpoint yeah well you know largely some of it is around these education pieces so i have a a 10 year old daughter who's a fifth grader who did online school all last year um and you know many kids did not thrive in that situation but some did Mm -hmm. you know my daughter learned a lot she did a spanish immersion program like she learned spanish during the (laughs) during (laughs) the pandemic from our attic Uh, so you know just understanding you know especially kids and young adults these ways these days are learning very differently mm-hmm. um, than how you know I even learned in undergraduate and graduate school not to mention elementary school um, and you know the park is learning that also they're realizing hey maybe they can do their pre-visits to a school in Denver virtually so that they have more capacity to bring kids actually into the park and spend their time doing that not prepping the kids on right. what they need for their field trip um, so just, you know, just the adaptability of people has been, and, and like I said, on the family level and as a parent, I was just like, okay. That's cool. Yeah. It's not all bad. And it Ki- kids, are, kids are dealing <laughs> with this very differently in some cases than adults, and yes. we can learn something from that. That's great to, to be more adaptable. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, while we're on the subject, and we want to keep it positive in general, I'm not talking about this show, I mean life. <laughs> yeah. But there's the reality of, I'm sure you, you are from time to time get really snarky or angry people who just are, lash out. How do you deal with them? And what, what is the most common um, problem in that realm that you have to deal with? Yeah, and so, you? you know, I'm gonna say I get angry because I'm usually pretty pretty cheerful. Um, I can tell. But you know, where I see, see challenges and frustration is certainly around, you know, people wanna get into the park, they love the park, they live here, they're visiting the park. Um, and, you know, there's some frustration around timed entry. So helping mm-hmm. people understand, you know, how do you use the system? It's not an insurmountable system. Um, and helping people understand, hey, when you get into the park, you know, I've had great experiences where I've had relatives in town and gotten a timed entry and gone and hiked Beerstadt at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm like, that that would have that was impossible yeah, um, yeah. previously. But wow. with some careful planning, just such a different transformative experience and more of a wilderness experience in some of those places so it is a good thing yeah so yeah but people get frustrated in the process and you know things are constantly changing you know masks are are a very contentious issue you know we've got staff we've got literally millions of visitors so making sure you know we're keeping our staff safe we're keeping visitors Mm. safe um, and we're staying up to the up to date with the latest science. Right. Um, and sometimes that's frustrating with people. But I'm like, you know, we're we're a national park, um, yeah. and our mission is to support a national park. So we've just got to make sure that this is, you know, a safe, inclusive space for right. everyone to have yeah. a great experience in some capacity. And this park isn't that big compared to. I, I understand you could fit probably about eight Rockies into one Yellowstone. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. In this 415 square miles. Um, how many, how much staff do we have at the Conservancy? Uh, uh, we, you know, like really anything in these gateway communities, we're a very seasonal operation. So this mm. year alone, we have seven youth conservation corps. 
um, running all the way from Granby down to Canyon Lakes and everything in between in the park and the forests. Yeah. So, you know, in the summer we can get upwards to about 150 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say necessarily staff because some of our youth corps, they're AmeriCorps volunteers. They've got different designations. We have volunteers. Yeah. Uh, and then we shrink down to, you know, less than a third of that in the dead of winter. Although we're seeing, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park is becoming truly more of a four-season park. Mm, yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> visit Hidden Valley in the wintertime. It's just as crazy as Bear Lake in the summertime. Wow. wow. Uh, so, you know, struggling with those sure. that, that balance. Will we be dealing with timed entry in the wintertime here in 2021? Uh, timed entry ends in October. October. Uh, so yeah, a few weeks into October. I can't remember the date right off the top okay. of my head. Um, so, you know, we're also anticipating, are we going to see a little bit of a boom in visitation? in Estes Park? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, you know, folks, the elk will still be running. Yeah. <laughs> the leaves yeah. will still be changing. <laughs> the show um, goes on. Yeah, and things will be a little bit quieter up here, but I still yeah. anticipate we'll see wow. busier busier shoulder seasons than in previous years. Wonderful. Um, what would you like the public to know more than anything or to do? To know and to do? Yeah, you know, I would say however you feel about any of these issues, you know, fire mitigation, timed entry, wildlife management, you have great opportunities to weigh in Mm. um, to the park. And so oftentimes people come to me and I'm happy to hear your thoughts, but I'm also like, there are formal processes that, you know, your voice matters to the park and they read all of your comments and your input. Um, So just staying engaged, you know, with the conservancy, personal bias you know become a member of the conservancy we'll send you great newsletters that with great inside information you want to know you know what happened i saw this invasive animal at rock cut last Uh month what uh was that why was it there how does the park deal with it all these cool behind the scenes what's happening with boreal toads in the park why are they endangered what is the conservancy um it's kind of lifts the curtain on what is you know, an incredibly complex operation, understanding how we support the park as wow. well. So somebody, I did happen to see the Rocky Mountain goat that was up at the at Rock oh, yeah. Cut <laughs> yes. uh, back a couple months ago. Um, but I, didn't, I would never have thought of contacting the Conservancy versus the National Park. Yes, yeah, um, so don't, yeah, don't contact us if you see a goat. Okay. Do contact the <laughs> park. Glad. So I was thinking right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, yeah. that's where we'll put a little insert and say, hey, that was a mountain goat. It was invasive. The park did remove it, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, usually, you know, due to le- in lethal ways. Yes. Um, yeah. Because they can make the bighorns really, really sick. It's a protective uh, And measure. kill them. Yep. Yeah. So understanding, like, yes, every animal is fuzzy and cute. Yeah. But the park has a very specific mission in trying to keep, you know, certain ecosystems intact mm-hmm. um, and, you know, prioritizing native species over non-native species. Yeah. So you educate us on these issues and the park will take care of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Just wanted to get that straight. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Anything else that uh, you would that's on your heart today that you'd like to share with us? No, I would say, you know, get out there, be safe, have fun. Yep. Um, if you haven't, you know, been into the park to see some of the burn zones where you can go and see areas safely, um, do it. Um, it is, you know, it's sad and it's painful mm-hmm. to see. Yes. But we're also starting to see life pop back up. That's encouraging. Um, and so, the, you know, the impact on human communities is huge. You know, the park lost all of their housing on the west side in the Green Mountain area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, them. lives were lost in the, in the west side of the park in Grand Lake. You know, trails have been destroyed. 
but from an ecosystem perspective in the park aspects of this are part of the natural cycle and Mm. so you know it is you know sort of blood chilling in some ways to go see these areas devastated but it's also just remarkable to see these incredible wildflowers i've never seen that are part of this you know regenerative process from fire all of the you know the vision of the phoenix emerging from the ashes you can really see that in some of the burn zones and that's a unique opportunity to go see to go show your children Uh, we are starting the process of completely revamping the Kawanichi Visitor Center and realizing we're going to have to talk about fire there because visitors will see it for decades to come and they're interested. Um, So I would just recommend, you know, take, take the opportunity right now to to ask those questions and to go see how that's changed the park that we all love. To see the birth of a new uh, ecosystem starting again. Wow. Fantastic. So how can people get in touch if they want to help, if they want to contribute? What's the best yeah, absolutely. So I would suggest, you know, the easiest point of entry is always follow us on social media. Follow Rocky Mountain Conservancy on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Check out our webpage. We've got a great map on there that shows where are our projects in Rocky Mountain National Park, our impact map. And the short answer is if you've ever set foot in Rocky, you've seen our impact. Mm-hmm. You've walked on a trail, you've been in a structure, you've seen a historic building restored by us. Um, you've seen species that have been inter- reintroduced to the park in some cases with the conservancy's support. Yeah. So most people have a favorite part of the park. So find your favorite part <laughs> sure. of the park on the map and, and see what it is that we're doing there, what we've wow. got planned in the future. Wonderful. Esty Rivera, it has been a joy having you on here as you laid out the welcome mat for us to come. I hear, I hear enthusiasm and hope in your voice, and uh, we're looking forward to many more years of, of good things coming in the national park. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for hosting me. You betcha. Take care.